Hello and welcome to the Wittenberg Door, a weekly broadcast that examines what Lutheran Christians believe about God, the world, and us. I'm Pastor Brett Cornelius of Gethsemane Lutheran Church, and I invite you to join us for the next hour. And later, we will take questions at 740-383-9944, that's 740-383-WWGH, or on Facebook at the Wittenberg Door, where you can submit your questions live. Please join us now on the Wittenberg Door. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Wittenberg Door. I'm Pastor Brett Cornelius of Gethsemane Lutheran Church, and with me today, as always, is my friend and bodyguard, Alan Dean. Hello, Alan. Hello. Uh, folks, we want to remind you that if you're listening to us on Friday morning, this is a call-in radio show. You can reach us at 740-383-9944. That's 383-WWGH. You can also post a question or comment live on our Facebook page. Just uh, look under groups for the Wittenberg Door, and uh, you can, uh, by the way, leave your questions and comments on our page anytime. If you'd like to address, uh, like for us to address them on the air, we'll certainly do that at a later date. Our program does air live on Friday mornings at 11.10 a.m. and again on Sunday mornings at 9.10 a.m. Wednesday nights at 7.10 p.m. So just keep your dial at WWGH 107.1 FM, The Talking Place. Well, I want to start with an apology for last week's broadcast. We were uh, broadcasting last week uh, from the Marion County Fair and something mysterious happened to the broadcast signal. I'm sure Scott has addressed this on air at one point. Uh, I found out soon afterwards that the station was down during our broadcast and so we'll make up for it with an extra good show today. Right, Alan? That's right. All right. Okay, so what is from the news from the past week? Well, uh, many of you probably have heard about the revelations made concerning comedian Bill Cosby and the spokesperson for Subway, Jared Fogle. Also, there's been many stories in the news this week concerning Confederate heritage sites and especially the Confederate battle flag. In fact, the South Carolina legislature voted this week to remove the flag from Statehouse grounds and it will be lowered sometime today. It may have already been lowered. I think it might have been 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. when they decided to lower it. Anyway, so sometime this morning it either has or, or will happen. And I believe this is a common element. There's a common element to all three of these stories. And that is the element of shame. I'm just going to address that for a second. Of course, one of the worst things a person can do is sexually abuse a child. Civilly speaking, it's a horrible and shameful crime. And those who consume child pornography, as the allegation concerning Jared Fogle suggests, are guilty by extension of abusing children. They may not have done the act, but they participated in it by enjoying and consuming the products of these pornographers. And they do offer encouragement for them to continue to abuse children. Consuming child pornography makes you as guilty as the one who actually abuses the children. Society, at least for the time being, recognizes adult attraction to children as both a crime and a disorder. It's a particularly ugly feature of fallen mankind, and it does terrible damage to the emotional well-being of children while they are children and as they become adults, even into adulthood. Now, so far, the allegations against Mr. Fogel are just that. We know there was a raid of some sort at his home and a search and seizure for his digital devices. But we don't know if anything was found in them, unless there have been developments I'm unaware of. 
We hope the allegations are not true. Jared Fogle seems like a, a nice guy, doesn't he? Yes, in the, he does. in the public light that he's been in. It'd be terrible. It would be terrible if he is innocent to be associated with something like this. And oftentimes the mere allegation is enough to stain a person's reputation and besmirch his character. So I think, Alan, wouldn't you say he deserves the benefit of the doubt until evidence is introduced to, against him in a court of law? I oh, hope, absolutely, um, absolutely. I hope yeah, people will yeah. give him that. So, yeah. Now, next to the abuse of children in shameful and disgusting acts is taking advantage of women and sexually abusing women. It was revealed this week that Bill Cosby admitted to using quaaludes, a painkiller, that often induces unconsciousness in order to sexually take advantage of women who were seeking help from Cosby in their careers. Now, Bill Cosby has been in the public spotlight for years. He's been a television and movie star and comedian since the 1960s. Alan, you probably remember uh, his albums. Oh, yeah. uh, I remember oh, his yeah. kids playing some of his com- uh, com- comedic albums. So he's been in the uh, you know movies and TV since the 1960s and, and been producing these records. Mm-hmm. And I remember listening to Bill Cosby records as a kid. And some of those routines I think I listened to so much I almost had them committed to memory. Mm, Fat Albert. And, uh, Fat Albert. <laughs> Fat Albert, yeah. Fat Albert. And and uh, who put the bolt in the furnace? Yeah. <laughs> remember that one? And uh, Noah. <laughs> the one he does on Noah. Well, uh, the Cosby show in the 80s and 90s cemented Cosby's reputation as America's dad playing Cliff Huxtable uh, an obstetrician I think it was obstetrician some kind of doctor and to hear these allegations about him really is a shame it's a it's just it's what it literally is it's shame and should the allegations prove to be true it is well deserved shame these allegations are the kind of things that produce shame that people never forgive and never forget even if not true, Jared Fogel's career as a spokesperson for a subway is probably over. The mere mention or hint of child pornography is enough to finish a person. And as much as Bill Cosby was loved by many, he will never live down the shame of his actions concerning these young women. People will never think of him in the same way. He has ruined himself by his twisted actions. Now, in addition to these stories, is one of the major stories of the week concerning the Confederate flag and monuments of former Confederates. In the wake of the Charleston killing spree, there have been many calls for the removal not only of the flag, but of its association with hate groups, because of its association of great hate groups. The battle flag at the South Carolina State House, as I said before, is in the process of being removed. The Memphis City Council voted to rename a park named after Confederate General, General Nathan Bedford Forrest and to remove his remains, to unearth him, and those of his wife from the park to a nearby cemetery. The mayors of Baltimore and New Orleans have called for the statues of Robert E. Lee, Jefferson Davis, and PGT Beauregard to be removed because of their association with slavery and the Civil War. There have been motions to rename streets and parks and to remove the display of Confederate flags even on national historical battlefields because of the association with hate and because community standards have changed dramatically. Um, One broadcast journalist even wondered if we should remove the Jefferson Memorial from Washington, (laughs) D.C. because of Jefferson's association with slavery. And the Confederate flag has been associated with a swastika. 
<laughs> now, certainly the period in our country, that period in our country, and the permissiveness of that practice in a country that declared that all men were created equal right. was a shame. Oh, it's absolutely. a blight on our history. American slavery in particular, with its racial component, and it's, you know, uh, uh, something that slavery in, in many cultures in the past didn't have necessarily a, 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 a racial component. In America, it did. We enslaved people because they were of a different race. Um, and with that racial component, it was certainly a shame and a denial of the biblical doctrine that all men come from the same fallen parents, Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. The division of mankind into nations and ethnic groups that began at Babel is only able, I believe, to be cured and set right in Christ. So there's especially a blatant hypocrisy in the Christian community that embraced the teachings of Scripture to hold a certain race as slaves. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, perhaps I and maybe some of you grew up around Confederate symbols, visiting historical sites of the Civil War and reading about the persons involved in the war. And uh, maybe we don't view those historical figures and symbols with as much revulsion as others. I don't believe the Confederate battle flag has the same connotations of shame as, for instance, the Nazi banner or the swastika. Right. I think there's, uh, you know, there's... uh, still a stigma attached to these symbols and figures. There's a public shame at the history of the Confederacy's defense of slavery. And maybe because community standards were so different at the time, and certainly because the Civil War had as much to do with an argument over the meaning of the Constitution and states' rights, we might cut those historical figures and symbols some slack, even finding some redeeming things in them. Regardless, there is a level of shame directed toward the Confederacy. And there's a stigma of shame attached to it. Well, folks, Scripture tells us that sin brings shame. When we give in to our basest desires, when we fail to treat others with dignity, when we're abusive, sexually or otherwise, Scripture labels that as sin. Scripture tells us to do unto others as we would have others do unto us. Right. That's the essence of the second table of God's law our duty to our neighbor, the essence, really, of modern ethics. Mm-hmm. As you want others to treat you, so treat them. And it, it, Mr. Fogel may have violated that. It appears that Bill Cosby has. And the practice of slavery was certainly a violation of that principle. And what do, these, uh, what do those who have committed these shameful acts, what do we do with them? I mean, are we to uh, disinter former slaveholders and scatter their dust to the wind? <laughs> are we to treat those who have violated these moral standards with utter disgust and unforgiving contempt? No. Certainly they have violated our trust, and that should not be forgotten. If only for the sake of public safety we can't put people in positions of trust who have shown that they, they don't honor that trust. Right. But how do we regard them? Can we, while being appalled at the crimes committed, especially with the two recent scandals, find some way to pity those who have so completely lost their way in life, still regard them as human beings, and hope for their redemption? Can we hope that they can recover that part of their humanity lost by their own selfish lusts? Mm -hmm. What about the 
with a young man in uh, in Charleston that went into the church and and killed these uh, you know innocent people worshiping God, who who had embraced the, him so warmly. And uh, you know what what a beautiful thing that when uh, the victims, the families of uh, of those who were killed showed up in court on the day he was arraigned and offered messages of forgiveness right. and compassion. What a, what a great testimony that oh, was, was to the Christian faith. Well, so what do we do? What of our shame? Also, we are guilty, though perhaps not criminally guilty of treating our neighbors with contempt. Right. Have we not been verbally abusive, maybe even to our loved ones? in our homes, maybe those closest to us? Have we turned a cold and unfeeling heart away from the needs of our neighbor? Are we guilty in our own way of hypocrisy? Have we gossiped about or ruined the reputation of our neighbor? Have we used the vulnerabilities of our neighbor for our own purposes or to our own ends? How about this, Alan? Mm. Have we used our charity and pity as a badge of honor? Concerned less about our neighbor than our own reputation. Mm, good. <laughs> Not today, I am. <laughs> Have we failed to love our neighbor? Have we failed to understand them? Have we failed to forgive them and give them the benefit of the doubt? I think we have. Yes, we have. <laughs> have. You have, and so have I. Not you, Alan, all of us, all, all, all of you out there. We all have shame to deal with. None of us get through life without violating the principle of loving our neighbors ourselves. And we all have a, a record of shame. All of humanity is guilty. You are guilty and I am guilty because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Mm-hmm. All but one. When God saw our sin and shame, he did not reject us as we deserve. But out of pity and love, Wishing to redeem us from our sin and shame, he sent his only begotten son, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, to redeem and rescue us. He sent his only begotten son to become one of us. He was like us in every respect except for sin, except for shame. Yet for our sake, he took up our sin and our shame. He identified himself with our shame by being baptized, a place where people were confessing their sins. He took up our sin and shame by going to the cross. The cross was a particularly shameful way to die in the first century and in the justice system of the Roman Empire. It was reserved for slaves and the dregs of humanity, those that society considered not worthy to live. They were criminals, guilty of the worst crimes. They were the worst of society. And crucifixion was meant to convey that message. The crucifixion, crucifixion victim was stripped naked and nailed to the cross. His earthly belongings were distributed by his tormentors before his eyes. There was a public mocking and an intentional humiliation and pain associated with that practice. Mm -hmm. And this is what our Lord endured for you. He took your sin and your shame, and he has reconciled you by his blood to a holy God. God does not reject you. 
whatever your sin or whatever your shame. And the Christian church does not talk about sin in order to shame the sinner. The law of God is preached within the Christian church only that by recognizing your sin and shame, you might, uh, you might see and be reminded of your need for a Savior. What the church is really after is redemption. Christ comes to cover your sin and shame and take away your guilt. By his life, death, and resurrection, he has restored you to a living relationship with a loving God. Your sin is taken away. Your shame has been buried. God has thrown your misdeeds into the sea of forgetfulness, and he will remember them no more. That's the promise held out to all who look to Jesus Christ and believe in him. And that's what we hope for all who have lost their way, lost their humanity in some way, whether it's the young man who killed the innocent victims, whether it's Bill Cosby or Jared Fogle or or any of the uh, historical figures we've discussed. The church exists to proclaim that it is not too late. God's mercy is infinite. His redemption in Christ is more than enough to restore you to his favor, remove your shame, and guarantee you an eternity of happiness where sin will be wiped away and righteousness will reign forever. Amen. 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 You know, when we talk about this issue of shame, Mm -hmm. I'm reminded of uh, the story of Noah. Remember Noah? We um, just mentioned him in regard to the Bill Cosby's routine, but there's that story of Noah after the flood, mm-hmm. after Noah has been rescued by God and Noah and his family. And Noah, remember, he he plants that vineyard. And uh, when the harvest time comes, he makes wine and he gets drunk and he lays naked in his tent. Right which was itself a symbol of shame in, uh, in ancient times, to be naked. And uh, Ham, his, uh, not Ham, um, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, yeah, Ham, uh, his son, comes to uh, Noah, sees his nakedness, and goes and gossips about his drunken father, goes and exposes, or attempts to expose, the sin and the shame of, of Noah. And then the two other brothers, uh, Shem and Japheth, uh, take a covering, take a cover, some kind of covering, blanket or whatever it was, and they walk backwards so that they don't look at their father's shame. And right. they cover him up. They mm-hmm. cover his nakedness. And I think that's really the essence of the gospel there, isn't it? Mm-hmm. What Christ comes to do for you. know, uh, one of the things that Paul says in the in the book of Galatians, he says, don't you know that all of you who have been baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ? Oh, I see. I mean, just what a wonderful uh, imagery mm-hmm. that uh, Scripture preaches to us about, about this issue of shame and, and how God resolves that shame in our favor. So, very good. Good. What other stories have you been uh, thinking about or hearing uh, this week, Alan? Anything uh, in particular that comes off the top of your head? Or uh, you know, 
<laughs> not not really. Okay. I mean, it's it sort of died down. I mean, the gay marriage thing and the flag yeah. thing. And yeah, yeah, so the gay marriage thing is is. Although it that was a big to, news. It st- still seems to be alive, though, and where yeah. they're going next with this thing, and I think that's what worries a lot of people. That you know. Yeah, where's it going next? Well, you know that's it, 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 it's funny that you mentioned that, Ellen, because that's something I kind of talked about last week in the broadcast that was lost. Oh, um, you know, we did lose this decision at the Supreme Court, mm-hmm. and gay marriage is going to be legal in all all fifty states. I mean, from our f- perspective, those of us who, without any, um, uh, and, and I'm sure you know, uh, Alan, you feel the same way, without any animosity toward uh, people with same sex attractions. Um, uh, no, no, no feeling of ill will. Uh, we felt it was bad for society, and um, it was kind of a, a corruption of nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and we felt that uh, you know society had um, a role in uh, building up the family, and uh, uh, frankly, in uh, conforming to the laws of nature. Um, has I think that has something to do with civil rights justice. Well, you know, of course, uh, uh, five Supreme Court justices didn't agree. Oh yeah. So it is it is legal now. Uh, what do you anticipate, uh, Alan? As you're thinking about that, you you brought up uh, you know kind of uh, we're thinking about the you know where the next foot falls, <laughs> and what what were you thinking about that? Uh, you know what you feel might come up next. Well, that's hard to say, but you know, at one point, will 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 it become hate speech to talk on the radio about yeah. these things or yeah. discuss these things? Right. Uh, yeah. About that, or uh, or, or, or uh, uh, even now, uh, one of the things that that's happening is uh, people engaged in, uh, particularly in the wedding business. Oh yeah, uh, bakers and florists and, and photographers all ha- in various states have New Mexico and Colorado and Oregon and Washington mm-hmm. have been sued, have been uh, prosecuted by the state merely for taking a stance on traditional marriage. Um, I'm hopeful that uh, that society that has at least uh, you know granted people. Uh, the liberty to uh, publicly and officially uh, declare a relationship with each other mm-hmm. uh, because uh, because of their makeup or because of their uh, attractions. I'm hopeful that you know society will eventually may not maybe not right away, but maybe eventually will come to see that people have a conscience and people have the right to live according to their conscience. Oh, I think yeah. really that's what the first amendment is about. Right. Uh, that the uh, uh, you know the guarantees that we have for religion aren't just for churches. I know there's that uh, senator from Wisconsin who who said that uh, the freedom of religion is not an individual right but it's a right for groups of people in churches, which I think is a kind of a dangerous thing to say. But I think if we're going to acknowledge uh, that people have the liberty to marry outside the traditional uh, uh, marriage categories, 
uh, I, I'm hopeful, I think, I, I hope that uh, society will also conclude that people have the right to their conscience mm-hmm. right. and their con- and their their uh, sense of right and wrong before God and and uh, and should and and will be able to live according to those things and and what was it that you mentioned uh, you know uh, kind of now any kind of opposition to uh, homosexuality as as being a form of hate speech. Yeah, kind of going the way of Canada. Yeah, Canada has done that, haven't they? Yeah, yeah it's uh, you know, frankly, it, I think it's inconsistent. Um, but uh, you know, there's already a, a kind of a, a, a apart from the issue of legality, mm-hmm. there's already kind of a a sense of shame uh, that uh, people in general, you know, on each side of the issue. Um, want to cast on the other person that's I think is maybe a little dangerous but uh, well hopefully this we you know we we pray and we uh, one of the things we also always pray in church Alan I'm, I'm sure you um, uh, kind of recognize this as it comes up week by week we always pray that our that for our government and that we would uh, be able to live peaceable and quiet lives in all godliness oh, and yeah. honesty oh, yeah. and so so I guess that's that's the prayer of the Christian that uh, we can live according to our conscience. So. Okay, um, so we have some lessons coming up, and, mm-hmm. and folks, uh, Gethsemane Lutheran Church, uh, we we have uh, prescribed lessons. Uh, most Lutheran churches do, Roman Catholic churches, uh, Greek Orthodox, uh, Episcopalians, are among the kind of the denominations in, in within Christendom that. Uh, 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 have prescribed lessons for each Sunday. We have kind of what we call the historic lectionary. So we're going to turn to that now and see what the good news that's coming up this Sunday. So uh, why don't we start with the intro, Alan, and and, uh, let's see what that says. Okay. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. Save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. To you, O Lord, I call my rock. Be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. The Lord is my strength and my shield, and him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exalts, and with my song I give thanks to him. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Amen. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. Save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Amen. Uh, you know, uh, we hear there the psalmist in in distress, really, isn't he? He's he's crying out to the Lord. He's looking to God for mercy. He's looking to God for um, help in his distress. When it's so often the psalmist is calling for help, and uh, and it's a a good reminder and a really very comforting reminder that as we hear the psalmist doing that so often, that in our uh, distresses 
in our uh, um, troubles that we encounter daily, uh, we can call upon God and and God will hear us. He's our shepherd. Uh, he he's our heritage. Uh, we have him to call upon and and his promise that he'll listen to us and and answer our prayers and and uh, so we'll, again right. just a reminder of of the goodness of God, uh, especially when we consider as we have already this morning our our own unworthiness. Absolutely. Okay, so uh, we have the, uh, the the intro there, and intro. and then usually the uh, uh, the the Old Testament lesson comes up. And uh, the Old Testament lesson is from where, Alan? This is Exodus uh, chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. It should be familiar. Okay. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You You shall not make for yourself the carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth you shall not bow down to them or serve them for I the Lord your God am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or if anything that is your neighbor's. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be Thanks to God. Thanks be to God. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, in this text, uh, what are we confronted with, Alan? We're really confronted with two things. First of all, God's authority. God's authority. Yeah. He, uh, as uh, as our creator has the right to command. Uh, he has the right to say, you shall not, or you shall. Uh, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You're, it's something we're to do. Honor your father and mother. Uh, you should not steal. You should not murder. You should not uh, uh, make false idols. Or You should. You shall not uh, worship. Uh, uh, you shall have no other gods. Uh, so there's the these things that God tells us not to do, there's these things that God tells us to do, these things he commands us to do. And so we're confronted with God's authority, and we're also confronted here with God's justice. Uh, he says here in, in uh, what is considered sometimes the, uh, kind of a prologue, he says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing 
the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, mm-hmm. but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. He says, God punishes sin. Uh, and folks, he, he punishes sin in a number of ways. Uh, he punishes sin by uh, in, in temporal ways. Sometimes when our sin is exposed, sometimes when, uh, especially uh, criminally, when we're when we're punished for crimes, mm-hmm. um, he uh, punishes uh, humanity because of humanity's sin uh, with death. One of the one of the uh, uh, consequences of the fall in the Garden of Eden. Uh, God said to Adam and, and to Eve very clearly, in the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall die. And as a result, death was brought into the world, tragically brought into the world, and has continued to this day. Our bodies get old, our bodies get tired as a result of that, that decree that was broken in the garden. And uh, so there's, this, there's, a, there's, a sin, there's a temporal punishment that occurs. There's also an eternal punishment that occurs because of sin. That is, those who are stubbornly unrepentant, uh, those who um, ignore the hope of the gospel held out to them by Christ Jesus, um, uh, will uh, for eternity be uh, separated from God's love and and, uh, experience uh, his eternal judgment. Uh, In you know, when <clears throat> when we hear these things, when we're reminded of these things, uh, it should make us tremble uh, that God is just. But of course, uh, as we said before, uh, the Christian church doesn't, doesn't proclaim sin simply to shame people or to scare people or to, or to kind of uh, motivate people to, to, you know, live a better life that's not the that's not the purpose of the law but to the purpose of the law and the purpose of the ten commandments being given here really whether it's given here from mount sinai as it was there or uh as it's given in people's hearts you know people are creatures of god they can't escape the judgment of god they can't escape uh their consciences that uh, paul tells us in romans alternately accuse or else defend us and so we hear these uh, 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 pronouncements of God in our own conscience. And uh, why does the why does the church bring this up? Why is the why does the law exist specifically to kind of uh, diagnose who we are, diagnose our condition, diagnose our need? And like an X-ray, you know, when you go to the doctor, the doctor wants you to get an X-ray. Why does he want that X-ray taken? He wants to see if you have cancer. He wants to see if you have pneumonia. He wants to see if there's a broken bone. Um, And so the law, what it really does, what these Ten Commandments do primarily, is they diagnose us and our condition so that we can receive mercy. You know, nobody's going to go... Oh, there's a story this week of the doctor who was fined and imprisoned for uh, giving people... Uh, chemotherapy unnecessarily. Did you hear that? The doctor no, in Michigan, no, I didn't. who had for years been been steering people to chemotherapy so that he could make money. 
Uh, well, nobody's going to go take chemotherapy if they don't think they have cancer. And, um, you know, in, in the same way, we just will not come to Christ and recognize the gifts that we receive in Christ, the merciful good gifts we receive in Christ, if we don't believe we're sinners, if we don't believe we violated God's law. So, the, so this law really resounds. And uh, I'm going to give you an example of it here in the gospel lesson. Now, we'll come back to the epistle lesson if we have time. Mm-hmm. But the gospel lesson is so coordinated with this Old Testament lesson. I want to, I want to kind of go over that first. So uh, the gospel is from, uh, it's from Matthew, isn't from it? From Matthew 5. Matthew 5. And that's chap- that's uh, verses 20 through 26. Yeah. <clears throat> For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. (coughs) And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. And this is the gospel of the Lord. Okay. Well, you know, of course, the, our Lord's words here um, are very similar to the words spoken on Mount Sinai. You know, uh, we call this portion of Scripture uh, that you read from mm-hmm. uh, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew's, Matthew chapters uh, 5 through 7. Uh, contain this uh, this sermon of Jesus. It's the longest sermon we have from Jesus, and um, he gives this from the from, from somewhere, uh, presumably in Galilee, which is where he was doing his ministry in his in his early ministry. He was doing his ministry in Galilee, so somewhere in Galilee. He's up on a mountain, but there's really a parallel, isn't there? Between mm-hmm. that Old Testament lesson and the, and the gospel lesson, both. Uh, transpiring on a mount on the one mount god is speaking mm-hmm. and oh, is uh, commanding yeah, yeah. and in the other mount in the gospel lesson god again is speaking and he's commanding you know it's funny that jesus said not funny but um uh, worth noting here that when jesus says you've heard uh, that the ancients were told and this is a new american standard i have you think you have ESV uh, you've heard that the ancients were told you shall not murder and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court but I say to you right you know again uh, you know just as in the lesson in Exodus we are we're confronted with God's authority here we're confronted with Christ's authority Christ is not just uh, Christ separates himself from the rest of the teachers of the first century the rest of the rabbis not by you know saying well this 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 one said or that one said, he says they said but I say, right right right. So God is again 
speaking from the mount. And God is again, of course, Christ here is again, he's confronting us about our sin. And in particular, he's confronting us about the hypocrisy of our own righteousness. Now, he takes just this this fifth commandment, you shall not murder. Mm-hmm. And he really, what is he doing there, Alan? What's he, what's he trying to, what, do you, what point is he making here for us about you shall not murder? It's just not about killing people. Yeah. It's about hate and about, yeah, loving yeah. thy neighbor. Yeah. It's about unforgiveness. Right. It's about our hateful words. Mm-hmm. And so we may be patting ourselves on the back and saying, well, I've never committed I've murder. Never, never. I'm not guilty. Right. And what Christ tells us here in this lesson is, no, you are guilty. Right. Uh, who among us hasn't said a, uh, you know, a, a, an ill-tempered word, hateful word to our neighbor at one point or other? Right. Uh, who of us hasn't harbored some ill will toward one of our fellow human beings and perhaps even walked in unforgiveness? Uh, you know, uh, people go through their whole lives you know, nursing some injury that was done to them by somebody else, sometimes sometimes just by the words that were spoken to them. They nurse this injury for their whole life. Families that don't communicate with each other oh, for yeah. years because of some word that was spoken, some hurt that was given. And here Christ is saying, you know, you have something against someone, forgive them. Later he'll say in the Sermon on the Mount, if you do not forgive others, their transgressions against you, neither will your your Father in heaven forgive you. So here what Jesus is telling us again is that we're guilty. And folks, uh, he doesn't do it so that he can have us, you know, kind of wallowing in our shame or wallowing in our sin or wallowing in fear even. Uh, Christ points us to our sin so that he may uh, remind us of the one who forgives sins, which he does in the Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, he teaches us to pray, uh, Mm -hmm. forgive us our trespasses. And uh, so he's not leaving people without hope. He's not... uh, He's not just pointing them to their sin. He's pointing them to the forgiveness of sins. And uh, the forgiveness of sins that he himself, at the end of the gospel, is going to earn for them, earn for us, uh, by his uh, crucifixion and death, by his burial and by his resurrection. Yeah. That, um, that that forgiveness, you know, God does not hold your sins against you. And this is the primary motive for Christians. Uh, the gospel is the motive for Christians to say, I'm not going to hold my uh, ill will, I'm not going to hold ill will against this person or, or, or hold these grudges. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bury the hatchet. And where do we bury the hatchet? We bury it in that tomb outside of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Where Christ was buried, right? We bury our hatchets in the wounds of Christ, uh, in imitation of Christ, having been ourselves forgiven and freed from our sin and in uh, our shame. So, uh, you know, uh, but here again, there's there's this uh, this proclamation, and Jesus says, you know, 
uh, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. I wish I had a little more time to to get into that, to crack that nut open. But uh, uh, in, in other words, what he's telling us is, unless you're perfect, uh, and that's really what he's saying, unless you're perfect, you've got a problem. But remember that this is the Christ who, who solves our sin problem by his life, death, and resurrection and, and proclaims us free and forgiven in his name. So, amen. amen. Well, folks, it's uh, about that time. Time for us to wrap up the show for today. We're uh, uh, glad that you joined us. We hope that you got something out of it. Uh, if you don't have a church home, we want to remind you that Gethsemane Lutheran Church is in downtown Marion, 219 East Church Street. It's right beside the Rockies Bicycle Shop, kind of a landmark in Marion. Our services are uh, Sunday morning at 1030. Uh, during the summer, we don't have a, 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 a Sunday school or a Bible class, but uh, but we do have the divine service where you will hear the proclamation of these good things, that you will hear the proclamation of the mercy of God and the forgiveness that he offers. And we hope that you'll join us again next Friday live uh, Sunday morning um, at 9, 10 a.m. or uh, Wednesday at 7, 10 p.m. And Alan, thank you for being with me. Thank you.